Welcome to Political Football, the recap with Dave, Matty Ice, and Cleve. Obviously, Matt's running a little late getting back from the Super Bowl, so hopefully we can get him in in a second or two, but how you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing okay. I assume Matt's out here collecting all his winnings from calling Tampa Bay, going <laughs> to possibly winning the Super Bowl a few weeks ago, so... um yeah, congrats, congrats to yeah. him on, on on shipping on shipping all these bets. But uh, no, I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. I'm obviously disappointed in in the quality of the game that we got, but otherwise I'm doing pretty good. How are you? How what you think of the game? Yeah, I'm I'm doing pretty good. You know, I um I first want to thank you guys. Um, I know I've said this in the last couple of weeks, but you know, you and I actually this is our 21st show together. Like we've done 21 weeks in a row. Wow, um, which is yeah, which is incredible. That's from our preview show to today's show 21 weeks and i you know we haven't missed a beat with us you know not being available or you know life happens i don't know how we were able to carve that out but kudos to us kudos to the nfl for actually putting on all 256 games or be it some games didn't have quarterbacks (laughs) some games some games didn't have receivers but it it happened and it's a testament to like you know what if you want to get things done get them done you sent me an interesting note, um, I think a while ago, about the testing, like, like how they were so efficient at the testing and mm-hmm. they were able to salvage their season, um, which was incredible that, you know, we're still struggling to test in some communities, but the NFL was able to do what even the bubble didn't do was, you know, in an open market, basically, to get all of that going and, and still even host the Super Bowl. Like they still put on a pretty good Super Bowl as far as the game quality probably wasn't what we are used to, but it was still, you know, a pandemic, but they still have, you know, having people come in and all that kind of good stuff. So, you know, thank you again, man, for being available. Thank you for, you know, putting this time slot in your schedule because it hasn't been easy, but we somehow did it. Well, you know, here's the thing is that, uh, um, you know, it's been pretty easy for me because, like, the reason Matt's not here right this second is because he has something called a job. Apparently, he has to be <laughs> at sometimes. Um, and I remember a time a time long ago when I had one of those as well. That would have made this a bit more difficult. But uh, during the pandemic, that ain't, that ain't been the case. So I've been I've been available. But I'm glad you guys have been able to to make it to make it work as well. Yeah, the testing the testing that the NFL has been able to do you know they basically were able to buy all of their own testing equipment and mm-hmm. they also like because the their protocols because they were so motivated to test as much as they possibly could they were able to create data that then the cdc was able to use to determine how to make the best guidelines for everybody else um so that's what they were able to do there and it did lead to mostly you know, you know, you compare it to the bubble. I still think the bubble was the way to go because, like, LeBron didn't ever miss two weeks with COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Teams didn't have to play without point guards. But I think that uh, the NFL did do a pretty good job of making it here. And the last group of people that I want to thank, of course, are the listeners who, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm actually kind of shocked there are people that want to listen to to me and you uh talk about football and fire off our hot takes i'm not surprised people want to listen to matt i'm surprised they want to listen to me and you um i agree i agree so so i'm glad that uh 
Uh, glad that we have that we have some listeners, and I want to thank them for sticking with us through 21 weeks. And we're going to keep we're going to keep it going. Um, now, a group that did not keep it going, of course, was the Kansas City Chiefs. And I w- would just love to get your thoughts on like what you were thinking and what you were feeling watching this dumpster fire um, happen during the Super Bowl. Well, I actually I think it's humorous is the word that comes to mind immediately for me. Um, because they obviously were the defending champions. They were in the Super Bowl last year, and they seem to kind of walk in with the swagger, like we're gonna walk in here and just kind of like run, run, you know, run wild. And they weren't to me. They weren't. If I dropped off, if I was dropped off a spaceship last week, and you know, I listened to this show over, you know, the time that it's been on, um, I would have saw, <laughs> I would have been expecting to see a different outcome with that team that team looked as pedestrian as it can get and again i am not casting any expressions on someone not trying or whatever it is but they just didn't look like they were prepared because they weren't even punched in the mouth you know they weren't like there was not blitzes like every down there was nothing that i that i could see out of the ordinary other than they just unex you know i think they underestimated their opponent knowing that that defense was probably the best defense they were probably going to face in the playoffs and getting to this point. But I just did, it just didn't look real to me. At every moment, at every moment, I'm like, okay, they're going to get going now. And they just never got going. Um, you made a point about something a few weeks ago when they were missing one of their guys. And it didn't dawn on me that, you know what, the next guy up, could take the spot where they just kind of shifted over the other starters to those positions that they don't normally play and you're going to have a Dominican Sue rushing a guy <laughs> who has not blocked a Dominican Sue or you know what I'm saying like like you know what and it's unfair to a guy but you're getting paid a job you're a professional you got to show up to play ball you know the Patriots have shown us over the years the next man up thing worked but obviously you know a testament to these guys is like listen you know what you got to play right tackle today. You're like, what? I don't do that. I'm, I'm whatever. So I just couldn't, I didn't realize how much impactful that would be on Mahomes having to run for his life. Literally every snap, this guy was on the move. Mm-hmm. I was like, holy shit. Like, is he going to settle down and get a pass off? Because he snaps the ball. Someone's in his lap. Um, I want to address something real quick. So I had people texting me that this is a fix. This game's bullshit. This, that, and the other. You know, these guys are throwing it. Um, obviously, I didn't play professional football, but I played enough football in my life to know that to get to that particular game, which is the pinnacle of your career, you know, ask all the thousands of players who played in the NFL over the, the, the century that has been around that has not even gotten to a playoff game, let alone a Super Bowl, that someone would get to that moment to throw a game. Unless you had someone's kids in a Brooklyn basement with guns on them, there was no way someone's going to get out there and willfully throw a game. So when people are saying, oh, the Super Bowl is always a fix and it's this bullshit, I don't know, unless I get evidence that it was, I don't know that any person will willfully get to this point, how hard it is to throw a game and say, you know what, I don't want to win a Super Bowl. I want to make the other team win. And the other thing is the refs. The refs didn't help these guys out. Some of the ticky-tacky fouls that were, that were called, um, I can, you know, pass interference. I can go either way on because it's it's it's, it's subjective. But you don't mush a guy in the face mask or whatever on third and whatever to give a 
a converting down, that's going to lead to a scoring drive. You do that in any game, you're gonna you're gonna give the game away, and they did that pretty pretty handily, giving the game away. So, um, Tom Brady, <laughs> uh, undebatably the goat. Reason I say that is that in this game, taking advantage of you know of the things that were given to them. He did what exactly what he was supposed to do. He threw exactly for how much he was supposed to. One Super Bowl, he threw for like 500 yards, right? Was that the was that the um, the Falcons one? I don't know. They ask our resident yeah. Tom Brady expert, Matt. Yeah. That, so that, you know that would be so, the Nick Foles Super Bowl. Okay, so he threw for so this Super Bowl he threw for exactly what probably he needed to throw for, and the rest of it was taken care of by the other guys just contributing what they could, man. So, um, in a nutshell, and I'm pretty sure we'll we'll bounce off each other with with um, your guys' takes. Um, I think that one team showed up and one team did. Simple as that. So, I want to address a couple of things. A couple of things that you said. Um, the first is that you said that the Pats always had the next guy up, and it always worked out for them. Well, let's not forget they have lost four Super Bowls during this run as well. So, you know, you said Tom Brady's the goat, which is true. He was the goat before before this game. He didn't even need it, but um, you know, he's also lost four of them. So it's it's okay to show up and lose. And it's one thing. Also, it's better to lose to Tom Brady than to lose twice to Eli Manning. Um, the other thing that you mentioned, you mentioned about people saying the game is fixed or something like that. There is it's people saying that major North American sports are fixed. It's like a clue that this is not a person you need to take seriously. <laughs> Unless they're really bringing in like some real evidence of of something, right? Like which would normally be like in a federal court. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Somebody yeah. somebody on Twitter being like this game is fixed. Um, the only the only game I've ever thought could even possibly have something like that, and it, it's always the referees. Um, was the 2014 wild card game with the Lions and the Cowboys when they called pass interference against the Cowboys, and then like made the call, like the hand motion, the announcement, and then picked it up after the fact and let the Cowboys go on to win the game. Um, mm. That's the only time I was like that's so shady and so abnormal that I wonder. But even then, like. It just doesn't happen. So I'm not going to get into it here. So we're talk about the game, but yeah, major North American sports aren't fixed for all kinds of reasons. Um, and then you mentioned the referees in this game. I will say the referees did not have um, their best effort, and a lot of their mistakes definitely did go against Kansas City. But you know, even if the refs called a perfect game, Kansas City loses this game by what 15 instead of 22. Yeah, you know, I agree. Yeah, with they that. still would have gotten their ass completely handed to them. Uh, so madly, oh god! Oh, I, I was gonna say I actually have some stuff for you on uh, the referees if you will indulge. Yeah, and my apologies for being late, gentlemen. The grind never stops. Um, so the head referee in this game was Carl Sheffers, I believe I'm saying that correctly. Um, and I, I, I did some digging into Mr. Sheffers' career. He's had a I think 21 year career as a, an official of some sort in the NFL, and he has been. Uh, a referee for much of the last few years of his career. But I looked up his stats as they relate to his the games that he officiated and how they related to the Super Bowl because I also heard a lot about the referees and I heard a lot of, for you, Cleve, about the referees fixing the games and how they were calling penalties. So I just want to lay some things out as it relates to that. So uh, Carl Sheffers, 58% uh, of his penalties were called against uh, the visiting teams, which the Chiefs were one of the Chiefs were in the Super Bowl, I believe. Uh, the league average is 52%. So he is above 
the league average when it comes to calling penalties against the visiting teams of the games in which he is officiating. This was his second uh, highest percentage in his career. So he's only called more penalties against visiting teams one other time in his career. So it, he was consistent with how he's been all season long. Uh, he personally, in the games that he refereed, uh, it was almost 13 penalties per game. The league average was just the, above 11. Uh, and the penalty yards were about 105 per game, and which is 10 yards higher than the league average for every other referee. He actually uh, officiated three Chiefs games this year. The Chiefs went 2-1 and one in those games, and he called 10-plus penalties against them in all of those games. Uh, I think it's also to note that the Chiefs were the fourth most penalized team in the league in terms of average penalties per game. And when they were the away team, they committed 2.2 more penalties than they did as the home team. So... The Chiefs didn't help themselves whether the penalties were justified or not, but the referee was consistent and the Chiefs were consistent in how they performed penalty-wise as the visiting team uh, this season. Just want to put that out there. Nice. Nice. So, as I as I would state to anyone listening, um, usually you have an assistant on your team at some in, in some capacity that's maybe a stat guy, and this would probably serve both teams better to know, hey, this crew's not fucking around tonight. They're going to call stuff, so you guys better be on your best behavior or, you know, play within the guidelines of the rules. And any any teams you know? that don't, Matty Ice is open for business. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So, Matt, what did you what did you think of the game? And thanks for the stuff. Uh, I don't want to rehash anything y'all uh, talked about earlier, but what I saw in this game was uh, the ability of the, the Bucks to get pressure with four or less guys. And when you look at the Super Bowls, at least in the last 10 years, a few of these games stick out to me uh, of teams that were able to do that. And against a team like the Chiefs, who have a lot of weapons that generally are good at getting open downfield, and you saw that in the Bills game, the Bills came in with a very good statistical defense, but were unable to get pressure and were also unable to cover any of these guys. Uh, the Bucks being able to do that so consistently in this game, and yes, the offensive line of the Chiefs was at a disadvantage, but being able to do that allowed the defense to be able to cover these guys so that instead of Kelsey and Tyreek Hill getting free 10, 15, 20 yards down the field with nobody within a mile of them uh, and do a lot of damage, the way that the Bucks allowed them to do in the first game, they were settling, really, for, for much of the game. And I know Kelsey's numbers, if you look at them without having watched the game, you'd say, wow, he had 130 yards uh, receiving. But none of that was significant yardage. Right, he didn't. He didn't have an impact on the game, and that, that's one of the things that I saw there. Um, I know a lot of people want to talk about Mahomes and how poorly he played, but I would just like to point out that there were four or five plays in this game that no other quarterback, maybe ever, could have made. And I think about the one where he was um, basically lying on the ground and threw the ball 30 yards, and I think almost all of those passes hit a receiver in some fashion. Yes, which is in, which which yeah. is incredible. Like yeah, it's absolutely that's, incredible. That, that's exactly right. And I, um, I didn't bring up the uh, the pressure that Mahomes was under because I figured that when you got here, you might talk about that. But I do have some stuff on that as well. And cool. I mean, that's that's exactly right. The 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 entire key to this game was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers being able to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes. But here's the thing, and I don't understand this. So the most pressures on a quarterback in a Super Bowl since 2008, you know, for a defensive player, um, was this game. Uh, Shaq Barrett had 11 pressures on Patrick Mahomes, right? The most in a game was last year, Nick Bosa had 12. 
So last year's Super Bowl, the Chiefs had to come from behind and win. And if you remember, the key play was Mahomes running for his life and then chucking it downfield to Tyreek Hill for 55 yards. Without that crazy play, the Chiefs don't win last year either because the 49ers got so much pressure on Mahomes. So they see that happen last year. They come into this year. Eric Fisher tears his Achilles at, at the end of the game two weeks ago. They know they're playing backup offensive linemen and jumbling players around. And in this game... Patrick Mahomes dropped back 52 times, and the Chiefs used five only five blockers on 48 of the 52 dropbacks, according to Daniel Jeremiah. So, you know, they didn't use running backs to help. Obviously, Travis Kelsey is a wide receiver. You're not keeping him in the block, but they have other tight ends on the team that they could have that they could have put out there. I mean, you know, they could have taken Sammy Watkins off the field with his one catch and put in a backup tight end to help block. Probably would have done probably would have done a lot more good. But this means that neither their game plan nor their in-game adjustment accounted for the fact that Mahomes is going to be under pressure. It almost cost them the Super Bowl last year, and they got absolutely trucked this year because of it. And, you know, I don't know who's who's to blame for that, but that is some glaring oversight. And what happened uh, on Sunday tells me that the Chiefs actually got lucky to come back and win that Super Bowl last year. I mean, it's it's a valid argument when you, when you watch what I watch. Now, I want to preface this by saying that I had my in-laws over and there were three screaming kids running around. So I, <laughs> I wasn't watching the game with an analytical view the way that I would, but I was able to watch it for what it was. And I've been watching football long enough to know what I'm what I'm seeing. And I've also seen the Patriots lose Super Bowls with this, uh, you know, with with this concept that I'm talking about where they're, you know, the Eagles were able to get pressure with four. That was one thing the Falcons couldn't do consistently, which is one of the reasons why the game ended the way that it did, because their defense got tired, couldn't get to Brady. And if that's going to happen, he's going to carve you up, especially, you know, four years ago. But um, the Chiefs also came into me looking as if they were a team. And Cleve, if you've said this before, I apologize. But they came in looking like a team who felt that they had overcome something last year by getting to, to one and thinking that getting to two was going to be easier. They didn't play. They didn't play like a team that looked as if this was going to be difficult the second time around. And I'm not saying that they're cocky or whatever, but it's difficult to win two Super Bowls. I mean, the the amount of quarterbacks that we know of who have won one is a longer list than who have won two. And when you get to that second one, it puts you in a different class. But it's difficult to do that, right? It's really difficult to do that. And they just came in looking as if they weren't ready for being punched in the mouth and you know, sort of giving it back and I don't know if that comes down to Andy Reid being distracted with what he's been dealing with off the field if the the nature of the Super Bowl being completely virtual this time around made it somewhat you know different I I don't know and I'm not going to make excuses for them they got absolutely punched in the mouth they didn't respond and when you start looking at them from from last year there seems to be somewhat of a correlation their talent can overcome almost 100% of the time, but it can't 100% of the time. And now I think their narrative as a or as an organization in their current makeup is, how are they going to respond to this loss? Because we've seen historically that teams that lose the Super Bowl generally have a downturn the next year. Are they going to be that team? Or are they? is this going to be a learning experience and this was sort of an anomaly? Because if you look at the game as a whole, it was kind of weird. There were some really weird things that just seemed off 
And the fact that Mahomes had those five passes that hit his receivers where he shouldn't have even thrown that ball. And I said to my brother-in-law, if I'm a high school quarterbacks coach right now, I'm texting all of my quarterbacks, do not ever do what you just saw right there. <laughs> and I think that, right? So it, it's like they have a lot of talent. And now can they overcome this adversity? Because they really haven't had adversity this kind of way, right? When they lost to the Patriots uh, the year before they won the Super Bowl, that was a back and forth game where they came back and it was just excited. They got, they haven't done this. And just, I have some stats here for you, not stats, but I'll give them over the course of the, the game. But I don't know if you said this, but this is the first time a Mahomes led team has failed to score a touchdown in his college or NFL career to date. Yeah. That's crazy, right? Think about that. Like, that's the first time it's ever happened. The Chiefs are also only the third team in the Super Bowl to not score a touchdown. The Chiefs, like, if we looked at this game 10 years from now and we saw that, we would think, that's got to be wrong. We would never think the Chiefs would not score a touchdown. It's crazy. Yeah, I think that an important thing to keep in mind, too, about this game is that um, this game is an anomaly in many ways. The lack to prepare for a pass rush is not an anomaly. That's now two years in a row. And I know two's not enough to establish a pattern. But when the stakes are so high, I think that we can, you know, say that this this was a mistake that they made both times. However, the Chiefs just played really poorly. Um, and that has not happened, I don't think, since Mahomes has been has been a starter. I mean, Travis Kelsey dropped passes. Tyreek Hill dropped a touchdown. Um they're committing these pass interference penalties because they're just getting smoked off the line of scrimmage, so they don't have a choice. Um, you know, Teron Matthews getting beaten coverage. They just played poorly all the way around. Um, it, it felt like like the entire team didn't get any sleep or something, you know, or they all had, like, mild food poisoning. It, they just they didn't play to the level that they're used to playing to. And I think that because the stakes of the game are so high, people are going to put too much emphasis on this when this is when this is really one game out of the last 27 or whatever that they that they've lost i think the chiefs are going to be just fine going forward and they're going to be they're going to win 12 games again next year at, at a minimum and probably make the afc title game and it's going to come down to how are they able to shore up some of these the problems because the offensive line and the pressure is an issue with the team travis kelsey dropping passes is not um, that's not something I would expect. I would expect to uh, to repeat. Uh, mm. So I have some something fun to share about the Super Bowl, uh, because the narrative around this game has been Brady right winning seven and his longevity. But I uh, I did some digging on the internet for uh, commercials that showed because everybody loves Super Bowl commercials. So I don't know if you all had favorites this year, but it's like it's one of those things outside of the game that everybody's excited about but i just wanted to list a couple of the companies that advertised when brady won his first super bowl is that uh, is that cool yeah go for it yeah uh some of these were laugh out loud funny so we have comp usa uh radio shack gateway computers wow. <laughs> blockbuster, blockbuster video <laughs> circuit city uh, america wow. online this was also the, de the debut of the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon in a Visa commercial. Um, and this is my favorite one. Monster.com did an ad featuring Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Wow. A lot's changed since Tom <laughs> won his first Super Bowl. Oh, and by the way, Dave, in the entirety of Tom winning his first and winning his seventh, Calvin Johnson was drafted, played, retired, and uh, voted into the Hall of Fame. Yes. 
Yes, he. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Brady's been around. So, I mean, yeah, Tom Brady has been around so long that when he was at Michigan, Michigan was beating Alabama. So it's been it's been a long time that Brady's been uh, uh been playing. Wow, I cannot uh, believe some of those. I forgot about some of those those companies dude every brand like i because i'm the old guy on the show every brand was like i remember all of those i even had oh a game and by the computer. way sears and quiznos were also on this list and that tells you a whole hell of a lot of where we've come now uh wow, and please the Holy video shit. game commercial of the year that year was for the playstation 2 for those of you who are not video gamers we're on the playstation 5 <laughs> um <laughs> yeah no the uh um the twisted metal for playstation 2 was awesome though uh, now, of course, Matt, we have to be we have to be fair to Cleve. You called it Sears, but he knows it is Robux. So that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good point. Um, oh my gosh, that that's excellent. So speaking of like the uh, the um, funny like a funny sort of stat around Brady and his Super Bowls and whatever, this is a stat that is that I had to actually double check when I learned it a couple years ago, but it's true. So you guys know how like the Patriots win the Super Bowl every goddamn year, and then I certainly do. And then yes, and then Alabama wins the national championship every goddamn year. That's correct. The Patriots and Alabama have never won the Super Bowl in the same year, or won their championships in the same year. Is it like an off year for each, or like every yeah, other like year it just, they've never or? done it in the same year, ever, like. Over, over this last 20 years where they're each constantly winning. They've never done it in the same year. So this year, finally, Tom Brady and Alabama have won in the same year. Wow. It's almost it's almost as if that the is, leagues have fixed it so that everybody's in misery uh, every single year. It's like every other year they have to go through, oh, not this again. Oh, not this again. <laughs> I, th- I think this is um, Tom's winning now, like winning this one. It, it, it lined up with, if I'm not wrong, if I'm not uh, correct, it lined up with when um, the other two teams in, in, in the Boston area, well, New England area, won their championships as well because it's a, like every time the winning goes, the winning goes with this guy. And to what Dave said earlier about them losing, um, what well, he lost four? Yeah, no, he's lost right? three. He's lost three. He's lost four? Oh, I thought he lost yeah. four. He's Never lost mind. Three. He's, been to, he's been to ten, lost yeah. three. The, the previous two Super Bowls you mentioned, Dave, were the pre-Brady era. That was Bledsoe against the Packers and, I believe, Steve Grogan against the 85 Bears. Okay. Um, so, it, in the accomplishments of the 10 is what makes it special that he has 10 appearances because uh, Dave and I were, you know, we opened the show with, you know, with how many guys that have come and gone, that have played, that have never even sniffed the playoffs, that this guy's been in this these many games where um, I don't know if you guys saw this on Twitter. One of the guys was celebrating in the locker room. Tom was cleaning out his locker. Everyone's going nuts, champagne's flying. Tom's literally like digging in his locker, getting his shit to, to, to leave the stadium. It's crazy. Yeah, bro. and the, the the crazy part for me too is like, I, if you think about the quarterbacks that he beat just this year to to, to accomplish this, taking out Breeze, Rogers, and Mahomes in a three game stretch, and. It, it, that's incredible. But then, how are you going to leave out Taylor at, Heineke? Oh, I mean, we could. I think everybody else did already. So, um, but, <laughs> but think about this, right? He's beaten Kurt Warner, Matt Ryan in his MVP season, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, and then you got randos like Jake Delhomme in there. It's almost better if Jake Delhomme and Jared, and Jared Goff. Goff. But that was probably Jared Goff's best statistical season, right? 
But think about this, though. Like, <laughs> e Nick Foles and Eli Manning beat him. And really what separates those two guys is one ring. That's it, in my mind. So Brady yeah. has relinquished, like, I mean, has, has excuse me, extinguished some of the, the greatest that we've seen in the period of time in which he played. And it's just, it, it's an incredible feat to me where, I mean, we're, again, Kurt Warner, Hall of Famer. Uh, Mahomes probably going to be a Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, Matt Ryan is not, but Russell Wilson probably will be, depending on what goes on with Pete Carroll and, mm -hmm. running, you know, uh, Chris Carson into the ground. And it's just like, and when you see this list and then Nick Foles beat him, like, I swear to God, I'm going to have to somehow explain to my son. <laughs> I, I don't really know how to talk about who Nick Foles is. It just was a weird game. Like, who is Nick Foles? I, I don't even remember anymore. All I know is that he has a ring or excuse me, as Steve would say, a chip, uh, as, as he would say. A chip. Um, but... You know, the whole thing was just Brady is something else. And you're right, Cleve. It's it's about his work ethic. His entirety of his professional life, at least, is about winning the, the big game. And there's the famous story, I think it was in like 2012, where some Patriot, it might have been Jamie Collins, was complaining about not making the Pro Bowl. And he was like, we're not here to make fucking Pro Bowls. We're here to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> and that's really all he's about when it comes to football. And again, you know, whatever you feel about him as a, as a person and in his personal life, whatever. I don't, that, that's not what I'm talking about. But like on the field, within his job, like he works hard and that's what he thinks about. So when he wins the big game, it's exciting. But then... He's he's thinking about the next year already, and I love when Jim Nance like, are you come? You know, are there any question about you coming back? And he's just like, fuck you, I'm coming back. And then he lifts the trophy up, um, <laughs> and that that kind of made me laugh a little bit. But Cleve, to your point, you talked about how if they were going to set a precedent for people not needing that five year window, uh, they really missed an opportunity of having somebody measuring him for his suit at the same time. And during his post game press conference, he was wearing a jacket that was eerily similar to the color of the hall of fame jacket yeah no we, we we all know first ballot unanimous probably unless the patriot haters are like you know fuck spygate whatever all that bullshit but yeah i mean the guy's walking into the hall with a wing his own wing so you know it is what it is we're we might see Mahomes, you know get some super bowls but to get this 10 appearance 10th appearance i don't think we're gonna no. see that and the other thing time. yeah the other thing too we're is gonna... since he turned 37 okay that's how old i am since he's turned 37 he has more playoff wins than like aaron Rodgers does, does in his career what yeah the the, mo the most interesting stat is that he has more championships than all 32 all yeah. 32 teams he has more championships so, than the entire league that, yeah, that says a lot that, about being like, legal. When you say he's won seven Super Bowls, like it obviously sounds like a lot, but it almost sounds like, oh, like made up. Like, oh, you can only do that on Madden. So yeah. I actually heard. So so it's funny. <laughs> Jim Rome actually said this, and to me, this was the best I've ever heard this accomplishment put in perspective. He said that Tom Brady has Joe Montana's rings and Troy Aikman's rings, and it was like, wow. oh. He's Montana plus Aikman. And it's like, okay. Yes. That he's like yeah. all the eighties and early nineties. <laughs> you know? Also to put it in also to put it into perspective, uh, somebody who really knows how to use Twitter, Robert Ori said, Welcome to the Seven Ring Club. I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Speaking speak, Jesus, big, yeah, speak, that's right. Big speaking Bob, of uh, Bob has seven rings though. Yeah, speaking of speaking of people who have, you know, who have rings that they did nothing to actually earn. Um, not that I'm bitter about big shot Bob's 
game-winning shot in Game 7, 2005 against the Pistons, whatever. The point is, is that we're talking about Mahomes and Brady, but the secret to winning the Super Bowl in this decade is having Sean McCoy on your team. That's right. He's two for two. Can you think about... So, I'm glad you said that, Dave. That's a great segue into where I was going next. So, <laughs> guys like Sue, who came up short against the, um, the Patriots... And as he wins his chip with the quarterback <laughs> of the pitch, that that's great. And then you know, Le'Veon Bell and um, Fournette started their season on the two worst teams in the league this year, and oh, they ended up winning win. a, a ring. You know, Fournette Fournette did a little bit. He did a little bit. Le'Veon Bell. No, just Le'Veon up didn't win. He's on the Chiefs. Yeah, oh, Fournette I'm sorry. Yes, he's on the Chiefs. So yeah, I meant to say yeah, yeah. The, the, the opposite of that like you show up thinking that you're gonna do the bare minimum and you win nothing um the other thing too guys and i think one of you guys said this probably weeks ago that we've seen this dude do this over three decades which like you said guys have come and gone guys have come and gone and this guy's still playing and is contemplating playing another year like what is he what does he have to prove is he playing for the competitive like fire that's in him or is he playing for like you know what i want to make this so unreachable with the eighth super bowl possibly so first of all no Cleve, one's ever you know touch he's this. been playing football at a high level for three decades which is impressive but you've been boxing for six so you know i don't think uh cleve was uh, cleve was on the committee that introduced the queen's very Queensberry rules, man. That was in the 1920s, Cleve. <laughs> no, the Queensberry is the eight, oh, even the 1890s. <laughs> well, at least you could have voted on something back then. Um, so yeah. I think you know personally, I think that um, he's just Tom Brady's just kind of insane, and that his most of his identity is just wrapped up in being an NFL quarterback and he's going to play as long as he can. And I think that's common with a lot of athletes, you know, it's such an important part of their identity. And then when it goes, it's, it's really rough. So he's just putting it off as, as long as he can. And as long as he can play at a high level, you know, at some point, at some point, his arm is going to fall off like Peyton Manning's and like Drew Brees, because, you know, he can't do it when he's 70. Um, although, What's interesting, yeah. when Jim Harbaugh got to Michigan in 2014, he did say that he could still make all the throws that he hit, that he would have to to play in the NFL, but that he could never take the hits. Like, if he got hit one time, he would explode into a fine mist. Um, and I think that might that might actually be mm. what gets Brady. His arm might actually be okay, because Marino's arm is still lights out. Like, it might his arm might be okay forever, but it's going to get to a point to where, like, you can't be 48 getting hit by a 21-year-old 300-pound guy. Yeah, yeah, but he, he didn't take any... I don't... I don't well, at least I don't recall no, him he didn't. getting hit hard in this game. But isn't it amazing... Isn't it amazing yeah, that if you took the he's going to age hot take six years ago, you look like a fool when everybody ages and he just ages completely differently than everybody else? Like, how, how absurd does it sound when you say... Brady's going to age. He's 37. And here he is six years later playing like he's 32. Yo, you you know who's done this already, right? So George Foreman for, you know, Matt and I are big boxing fans. George Foreman ha has had two careers. And he won his, I think his third championship at the age of 50 in a brutal barbaric sport. So, you know, age is, you know, Father Time is undefeated. And, you know, we're going to see Brady possibly 
at some point have to just really bow out. But the guy's doing everything right. You know, he's taking care of himself and he's and he's making GM moves. You know, he hey, I want AB in here. I want this guy in here. You know what? I, I need to win with this type of back. You know, think that it, the Glazers didn't listen to that? Arians didn't have to do anything. He told you guys at the presser, I didn't do, I just got out the way and got and, and got me a championship and got my paycheck. I didn't do anything. Tom coached the difference, this team. Though, to a is Super George Bowl. Foreman didn't look like George Foreman at 20. Tom Brady looks better than he did at 22. So, I mean, that, that graphic <laughs> of him next to him, was it George Blanda? And it, George Blanda looks like he's been through like. Uh, 11 heaters in a row in Vegas and he's just had the roughest <laughs> life and I'm like, those, those guys are the same age and Tom looks like a supermodel and yeah. if you look at the pictures over time I was like how the hell has he gotten better looking like I look like shit compared to what I look like you know 15 years ago and this guy just keeps looking better so like it's just the craziest thing that if you said he's going to age you now look like a total fool yep yep so uh so switching gears now um you know, you guys, you know, the Hall of Fame class was finally announced. Um, what did you guys think of the, the lineup? And what do you guys think about who got well, in? Well, I don't even care snubbed? who got snubbed because the people who got in, you know, this was a great Hall of Fame class for me. First of all, you had Kelvin Johnson, you know, who was the most dominant wide receiver in his prime in the, you know, in the NFL at the time. Um, just, just an absolute unbelievable talent. And just like Barry Sanders, just stuck with this franchise that couldn't do anything at all while he was there. And in fact, um, you know, we talked about how Peyton Manning is, uh, he was in this class, the first Black Hall of Famer, no question. You know, he won what, two Super Bowls, three Super Bowls. I don't know. He won, he won multiple Super Bowls. And I went back and looked and Peyton Manning had a career 70% winning percentage. Right. He won seven games out of ten. Calvin Johnson, first ballot Hall of Famer, no question. Just absolutely going in. Obviously never won the Super Bowl. Never even won a playoff game. Only had a career 44% winning percentage, including being on an 0-16 team. And is still just, without a doubt, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Which just goes to show how amazing of a talent he is. And there is a universe where Calvin Johnson did not end up stuck with the Lions. And is like it's the the conversation is now Rice Moss and Calvin Johnson. The um so I hate the I hate to kind of like throw shit at the Lions for this or throw shit at Calvin Johnson. I think he's a great talent, and I echo everything you just said. Tory Holt was on this list. Tory Holt, Holt was Tory Holt is a great is a great wide receiver. Tory Holt should probably be in the Hall of Fame. He is not a first ballot Hall of Famer. And the reason for that is that he, he, Torrey Holt suffers from the opposite problem where he played with Marshall Falk and Kurt Warner and Isaac Bruce. It was coached by Dick Vermeil. And so he, he gets to be, he, you know, he gets to be the, um, you know, like the fifth piece of this, of this great offense or anything. But, you know, Calvin, Calvin Johnson is a better wide receiver than Torrey Holt. And it's honestly not even close. No, I, 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 I'm not saying that Calvin is not a first ballot. I'm saying Tory Holt should have got in. If Calvin Johnson can get in with a 44, whatever percent winning, what do you call it? You're right. The team does does make a difference. Tory Holt's numbers on a team full of athletes still stood out. Listen, he, I'm not sure that he should have gotten into the Hall. I'm not saying Tory Holt doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. That's, that's 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 fine by me. But there, but there is no doubt that Calvin Johnson. 
Calvin Johnson went, he went on an 0 and 16 team. He, 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 he was a part of that. He was a part of that. So how, how, where mm-hmm. Torrey Holt went to a Super right. Bowl twice. Right. But the thing twice. is that they don't one put they won, in the one they lost. The players in the Hall of Fame. And Calvin Johnson was. You, you just mentioned, you just mentioned the. Right. The which is what, which, which, of, which of goes Calvin to show Johnson. that he was able to do, he was able to be a great player surrounded by not great players. Right. It, it's a testament to his ability that he was able to be so good surrounded by by such garbage right he went he went 0 and 16 i think being quarterback like john kitna when john kitna was like 45 years old right nobody looks back at that and goes wow calvin was certainly the reason <laughs> they went 0 and 16 or whatever the point is is that calvin johnson was for a stretch of his career the most dominant wide receiver in the league without question and tory holt never was and in fact, when Tory Holt's team was the best, he was even the best wide receiver on his team. No, he he was, bro. No, 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 no. He two thousand three, he led the NFL in 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 uh in, in receiving yards. He led the NFL in two thousand three. Calvin Johnson led the NFL in receiving yards. Um, twenty eleven. Well, twenty twelve. Not only did he leave the receiving yards, right? he set the record for most receiving yards in the season. But. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, I was going to mention that. I, so, so my question was just saying, what's the criteria? Um, which we shouldn't have got this part of the conversation, but what's the criteria of like when you got a a name like Ter- Tory Holt and Calvin Johnson? Because I believe those were the only two receivers in this. So in here's, this, here's the uh, difference. I'll bring that in. Here's uh, the difference. In in 2012, when Calvin Johnson led the league in receiving, there was no receiver in the league you'd have you'd rather have on your team than Calvin Johnson. In 2003, when Torrey Holt led the league in receiving, you'd still rather have Randy Moss. That's the difference. Calvin Johnson was the most dominant wide receiver in the league for a stretch. Torrey Holt never was. And again, I have no issue with Torrey Holt. I have no issue with Torrey Holt being in the Hall of Fame. I think Torrey Holt is absolutely fantastic. You know, I'm not. I've got zero negative to say about him. But you cannot compare. You know somebody who is who was like i said was the most dominant like as soon as randy moss left calvin took over as the most dominant first stretch and then it became mm. julio but tory holt was never was never that and that's the difference and it's amazing that calvin johnson could be that on teams that were so bad also the lions the lions did go 10 and 6 and 11 and 5 a couple seasons led in those seasons where calvin johnson was so good so when he was able to be good, he also led them mm-hmm. to, I mean, an 11 and five season for the lions. That's not going to happen while Biden is president. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, that's not going to happen the next few years. So that's why, that's yeah. why he's in. Um, Matt, what do you think about this? Uh, this hold Yeah. So Matt, hold, hold, hold your beer for one second. So, uh, the, I, and I, and I had to correct myself here. So the other receiver that, that was in that, finalist push as well was uh mm-hmm. was reggie wayne who obviously didn't make it in but reggie wayne has pretty good numbers too and he eclipses both of them in in receptions and receiving yards plus i believe he has uh he has a super bowl on his on his repertoire so yeah so it is a testament i do i do stand firm on your argument about about calvin's dominance but again you know these guys did just as just as much or even more. So what is the so when these voters are sitting down, when these guys are are, are voting guys in, what like what is the criteria? I mean, honestly, just flip them around. Put Calvin Johnson on the greatest show on turf, and take Tory Holt, put him on the 0-16 Lions, right? Take. 
take put Calvin Johnson with Marvin Harrison on the 04 Colts and Peyton Manning on 50 touchdowns and they'll put Reggie Wayne on the Lions. So like obviously Reggie Wayne and Tory Holt would not have been able to lead the Lions to the eleven to five season. If you put Calvin Johnson on the greatest show on turf, they actually probably win twenty seven games in a year or they only play sixteen. Right? Like that's that's the thing. There's no when when you're comparing like who you'd rather have on your team in their prime it's clearly Calvin Johnson. That's why Calvin goes in first ballot. Reggie Wayne and Torrey Holt are both going to get there. Mm-hmm. But there were stretches where they weren't even the best wide receiver on their own team. Isaac Bruce and Marvin Harrison were. That, that's the difference between first ballot, just going I, straight in, and then not. I would just I would just love to like know the criteria, you know, be in the room when these guys are arguing. You know who who's you know who's gonna make it in, who's not gonna make it in? Because as great as Terrell Davis was, there's a lot of backs there. It's way better than Terrell Davis, but you know he was the catalyst to two championships. You know, so I don't know. You know, Denver had a system where they have thousand yard back every season. It didn't matter if it was Orlando's Gary or if it was Terrell Davis or any other schmuck that wanted to get out of stands and run the ball. For, for them, so I just I just look at it that that was my only take. Matt, sorry about uh, taking your. Uh, so I I just want to add a little bit think? of context for for both of you <clears throat> about these three guys. Excuse me. So I have Calvin Johnson, Tory Holt, and Reggie Wayne. So first of all, Cleve, when you talk about guys like Tory Holt and Reggie Wayne, I don't think there's any argument that they are uh, among the elites in their position at the times in which they played. Uh, but you can't really do the com- statistical comparison with Calvin Johnson because Calvin Johnson's career was so short and not, not that that is a reason why his stats are better, but like, you know, when you are playing for 13 years, the way Reggie Wayne did, it's easier to compile stats at the end to sort of make things look good. Like if a good comparison is if you're looking at Frank Gore and Terrell Davis, are you going to tell me that Frank Gore is a Hall of Famer because his, st- his statistics are vastly greater looking than Terrell Davis? I would probably say no. And so Calvin Johnson, just to give you an idea, so Torrey Holt and Reggie Wayne both did lead the league one or at least once in receiving yards. Um, Calvin Johnson did that twice. Mm-hmm. Think about this for a minute. Calvin Johnson played from 2007 to 2015, and he averaged 86 yards a game. That's more than both Torrey Holt and Reggie Wayne averaged in their careers. So Torrey Holt averaged 77. Reggie Wayne only averaged 68 yards a game. So, and the other thing is when you're mm-hmm. starting to look and and you're comparing these guys at the same position, and they played relatively in the same era, right? Uh, Torrey Holt was at the beginning of this offensive boom when it came to passing, playing with two Hall of Famers, Reggie, um, at three, right? Is Isaac Bruce in the Hall of Fame? I don't, okay, all right. Uh, I don't think, so no, Isaac no, Bruce he, is a, he hasn't is another, made it yet. You know, great receiver at that time period, but all those guys were on the same team, and so it does make it easier. And to Dave's point, Calvin Johnson played for a franchise that didn't seem to do anything to actively try and win on a consistent They're basis. They're dog shit. And Calvin, right, and Calvin Johnson uh, outplayed that to, to the point where, I mean, 1,900, almost 2,000 yards in a, in a single season when outside of, I think, was Stafford the quarterback of that team the year in 2012? I think yes. he was. Yes, yep. Um, yeah, right. So think about overcoming a, a franchise that's actively not trying to win and 
And then you go out for Torrey Holt and Reggie Wayne, who are on franchises who are actively trying to do that, right? The Rams were good for a stretch there. They were dominant for a stretch. The Colts, you know, it took them a while to break through, but those 2003-2004 teams were offensive juggernauts until they randomly lost in the playoffs, right? Um, and that, that those are the things that stand out to me. So when I'm comparing these three guys, a lot of it doesn't come down to the statistics for me. It comes down to, like, the eye test, and I know that that's a subjective thing, but I think Dave makes a very valid point when you're looking at uh, it's in baseball when they look at these guys who, because baseball is all about statistics, but they think, were you considered the best player in your league for any stretch of time, any significant stretch of time? And a lot of times when the answer is no to that, they take a seat, they, they take a back seat to other players who you can instantly say that about. And so when three of these guys are on the list, we're not saying that these guys aren't Hall of Famers, but if you're going to make a hierarchy of where they reside, and it's Calvin Johnson versus Torrey Holt and Reggie Wayne. Calvin Johnson was the best receiver in the league for a really good stretch of years. And that was despite the fact that the team that was placed around him was terrible. I mean, he even almost had, he didn't play the whole season when they went 0-16, uh, but he still almost had 1,000 yards that year. So that's coming from John Kitna and run out of the end zone of loss. So you're, 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 over the, you're <laughs> overcoming that to an extent that is, that is incredible right and uh, that's what that's the way i look at it and i'm thinking they also are limited to the amount of players that they can put in in one class so you have to have some level of well the well the wide receiver the wide receiver uh uh class uh i'm sorry class the wide receiver category is so gridlocked it's, it's been gridlocked for years that you know guys weren't getting in because there's so many receivers that are still waiting right. to get in you know, guys that are, you know, I, I, I just look at it like because I think Dave and I had an argument one time off offline about, you know, yesteryear's players versus this year because there's always a guy that goes in that has been waiting since the Joe 80s. I'm like, holy shit. Like, how is this guy yeah, still Pearson not in the hall yet? Huh? Yeah. 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 So what did you so and and I. I, I'm glad we can have these debates. So I'm glad, you know, we, we put up Drew. Uh, I don't have what thoughts do you guys on that. Think Drew of Pearson that played before I was born, but you were like 35 or so at the time. What do you think of Drew Pearson? <laughs> I think I think being on those teams um, in that era, because that's the Bradshaw era, that's the uh, Starback era, like, that, like those guys were in the league. So obviously... Um, it's something to be said about that, but that's a diff that's a different league. That's a different brand of football. Their numbers are not going to be compared know, to like a Calvin Johnson, Torrey Holt. You know what's really funny, Cleve, is like that I have never, I don't think ever, considered somebody's statistical production for whether or not they belong in the Hall of Fame in football. No, no, my, no. This is my that. argument that was, was your, that, that was Calvin Johnson was a dominant player that, at, for a while at, at the time of league. And, and then Matt spewed his 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 statistical dominance to you. In, in no, I've, I never, I had. never that once said I, I knew that he argument. set the record one year for most receiving yards in a season. But that's not the like it's because he was the most dominant player at his position for a while. I don't think I've ever thought like you know it does does this player's stats compare to this player's stats or does this or does that or or whatever right like. So wait a minute. So a quarterback going into, going into the league, I mean, sorry, going into the hall, you think that their statistical winning percentage doesn't doesn't count for that like oh because they looked great on the field in their uniform I throwing the ball down the field oh this this guy should be i don't think i don't it think has to be that. a winning over over well, first of all there time. doesn't because archie manning is in 
but I don't think like I don't think like who had who has a higher winning percentage, Steve Young or Dan Marino? Like I literally don't care. They both deserve to be in because they're awesome. You know what I mean? Like I would never. It, it just never. So so that's the case that Michael Vick should be in the Hall of Fame. If that if if that's your argument, then Michael Vick is a Hall of Famer. That's what you just said. Not those words exactly, but by what you just said, that Michael, because if you're so dominant at your position and I'm not sure Michael Vick is the most dominant quarterback uh, when, when, at any point during his career. In a, and we're excluding his off-field stuff because I'm not going to argue for Michael Vick getting any sort of uh, adulation now. But like just given what he did on the field, I mean, prob- probably not. I don't really, you know, I don't think Michael Vick is dominant. When they when they announce these guys, they yeah. announce what they've done, how many interceptions they've had, how many touchdowns they've caught, how many rushing yards they've had. That's how they. So it's a popularity contest to get into the Hall of Fame. Is, is how you're saying it, because it's not based on any any statistical data. Because that's what that's what you and Matt just found it to me. Calvin Johnson in the in the in the short time that he had, he did that on a team. That, so you're you're you know, conflating if it was better, two then different we're talking arguments. About a different situation you're conflating. Here what what I said, which is that I don't think I've ever thought about somebody's statistical production when thinking about whether or not they belong in the Hall of Fame with and you're saying that then that people shouldn't then ever discuss statistical production with in relation to the Hall of Fame. Right. I'm not saying I'm not saying that people who vote if so for so if, in the Hall of Fame should not use statistical production. I'm not saying that you should not think about people's statistical production i simply said that it's interesting hearing you talk about it that i am now realizing that i don't really compare their stats right i just look at i just look at randy moss and i go that guy got you okay awesome dominant yeah 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 you just look at a guy like okay that has julio jones or calvin johnson doesn't matter they're both going right that's that's what i'm saying and a, and a great example of this is because on offense, if, you can look at stats nice and easy and they can be clean for comparison. But on defense, Charles Woodson is going in this year. And Charles Woodson is one of the two most dominant defensive players in college football I have ever seen. Yeah, and statistically, he did the same thing for both teams, pro teams he was on, catching the amount of uh, interceptions. That's statistical dominance in in in, in retrospect to to the kind of player we saw on the field. Steve Tasker from the Bills should be in the Hall of Fame. Special teams, Steve Tasker, because that position gets overlooked, but that's well, they should put him in Matt Slater at the same time. The third but no, I, I, want to talk about, I, want, I do want to quickly talk about Charles Woodson just because he is <laughs> like my, my, my all-time favorite, um, certainly in college. Um, I don't like anybody who plays for the Packers, but, um, you know, Charles Woodson in college was the most dominant defensive player I had ever seen. And to this day, it's either him or Ngamak and Sue. And in his in his junior year at Michigan, the year he won the Heisman Trophy, he was targeted like 20 times. He had like six to eight interceptions, four to five pass breakups, right? And he gave up one touchdown to David Boston. Like, like just absolutely just erasing half the field when he was at Michigan. Then he comes to the NFL, does the exact same thing. Then as he gets older, he switches to safety, wins defensive player of the year in his 11th year, you know, 
I don't. It doesn't matter to me if Charles Woodson has more or less interceptions than I don't know some other Daryl Revis or whatever. Like Charles Woodson is so clearly a first ballot Hall of Famer that that's why he 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 gets to go in right now. And I'm so glad that the that the league and the voters and everybody saw because mm-hmm. Charles Woodson is one of the best football players I've ever seen. Yeah. So so and and uh, and. In, uh, I'm glad you said that because I totally 100% agree. There's no aversion on my part with about Charles Woods, but you know the other guy that didn't make the cut was Rondé Barber. And again, we when you look at the both their careers, Charles Woodson gets that hands down. I thought the case for Tory would would it was a little closer with Calvin, but again, we we just don't know what the criteria is. Um, you know what these guys are actually looking at when they when they put guys in because you know you make an interesting point that that you never thought of it like that i've always thought about okay when they introduce these guys or when these guys are jerking each other off at the at the hall of fame they talk about how many times they've gotten this quarterback picked off or whatever and you know how many league championships they got or how many playoff games like tom tom's going to sit there and be the only one in that in that room that can literally say hey I've got more than most of you guys combined, just appearances or Super Bowl. Sure, and you know, and I'll let Matt rings. speak to uh, Tom Brady here, but like Tom Brady has more Super Bowl rings than than anybody, and probably than any other quarterback ever ever will. Um, but he's but he's not, he's not the best quarterback to ever play. Like there are there, no, there are so, other quarterbacks that that are better no, at no. quarterback even though they don't have as many wins as he does and so that's why like when i think about going to the hall of fame tom brady honestly like could have lost one three and lost seven and he would still belong to the hall of fame yeah still be in yeah yeah i mean he just makes but to my to my argument on this about uh you know stats versus the eye test versus you know you're be- being the most dominant at your time you know all that kind of mashed into one little pie is that you know when you look at the amount of yards Drew Brees has thrown for versus everyone else Tom Brady included it's like it's there's no comparison so I'm saying like when you go into the Hall of Fame what are they what are they saying okay Cleve I'm this gonna, is why you got I'm in do it like this, this is why you so, didn't so get 10 in. years ago That's they just went to back-to-back AFC title games with Mark Sanchez right and they lost both you can add one of the following mm-hmm. players in their prime to mm-hmm. that roster. You know, in their prime. You can pluck them out of time in their prime, put them on that team. Torrey Holt, Reggie Wayne, or Calvin Johnson. Who do you want? Right. Oh, well, Calvin Johnson. Come on. Like, you're 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 asking me a question that I, I, I didn't argue that Calvin is not a, not a, what do you call it? I think I think the problem is that they're, uh, to what Matt right. said, the amount of people that get to go in at any but, given time. Like they only put in like nine people or whatever it is at any given time, but there's like 21 on the list and you have to sparse out. Okay. This guy, this guy, this guy. So Calvin Johnson is a first ballot hall of famer. I would never argue that. And you know, to you guys enlighten me about how short his career was that he did so much in that short space of time. That's incredible. That's incredible. That would actually win the argument. Like, okay, in this, in this little span of time, he did this on a team that wasn't that great. I get that. But to a guy, Tory Holt, again, you could argue. I'm not arguing that he's a first ballot. I'm arguing that he should have, you know, like when you look at these stats versus these stats, what a Super Bowl championship is on here, albeit he was on a team full of other athletes 
because they're going to have a problem. The Rams are going to have a problem getting in because all of those guys that were on that on those two teams, they're not going to all get in because again, they weren't the best receiver in on their own team or in their conference. Okay, so or so unfortunately, Matt, you're stuck with the Allen fan that could take. So let's hear it. No, I actually want to go back, Cleva. I think um, <laughs> when I was giving these statistics, I think you kind of missed the point of other you know, things that I was saying around it. The statistics for me uh, allow some depth to the context where you're talking about you know, these guys. So when I compared Calvin Johnson, Torrey Holt, and Reggie Wayne and gave you those statistics, it, the idea is to give you s- some sense of when you're comparing them and you're taking their whole uh, career into into perspective, the context of the statistics really make a difference. So I'm going to give you an example. So we talked about um, Drew Pearson, right? So if you look at his actual numbers, mm-hmm. he's not a Hall of Famer compared to the... Con- the uh, hold on, hold on. So Correct. when I tell you, and I actually brought this up for something else, but I think it actually makes perfect sense to, to say here. So 2020... Uh, was the highest completion percentage year ever in NFL history at 65%. It was also the lowest yards per catch year ever. And if you look at that represented graphically, um, the yards per catch number was higher back in the 1940s than it was now. But the completion percentage was drastically lower. Those numbers have inversed over the course of time. And Steve Pearson, right? So Steve Pearson played at a time where they didn't throw the ball as accurate but the yards per catch were more, right? And so, it. but what's difficult is every year that he's on the ballot, a new guy comes up that is so obviously a Hall of Famer that it's difficult to say, well, it's this guy's time. I, I can understand that because you're paring down, right, but you're- With the Super Bowl. Yeah, and also- With the Drew, Super Bowl. I mean, uh, that's what, that's what these guys are playing. They're not playing to get in the Hall of Fame or yeah. for the most yards. They're playing to win the Super Bowl. They're playing to win the championship. They don't like. They don't care about. Oh, I'm gonna get this many yards, whatever. I, I think if, if you ask Calvin, can you trade a championship for leading the mm-hmm. league? What he's gonna so take? That's why I think it's really difficult because at some point every year there's going to be somebody who's going to be snubbed because it's it's so hard. Like in baseball, when you look at the year by year voters. Like there's guys that have been on the ballot forever and you're like, this guy should have gotten in. But then when you know that the voters are limited to how many players they can vote for and then the other players that are on the ballot are so clearly a Hall of Famer in that moment, it's difficult to not vote for them. And in this particular case, there's at least a process to which they are talking about it and paring the list down as they go. It's not a one stop shop for in or out. And it's just really difficult because there's so many players that come up on a year-to-year basis that warrant a in-depth discussion. And I, I, so I don't think it's the Hall of Fame actively against Drew Pearson. But when you look at the context of when he played, which is what you alluded to, and then think about how the league has changed over time, it makes the statistical numbers that much mm-hmm. more contextual so that you can understand what his numbers meant in the time in which he played because you can't compare to different eras but when three guys are in the same era you have to look at those numbers compared to each other and then think about okay well what is the context behind the careers that they played so when i said that the lions were act sorry dave actively losing and the colts and rams were actively trying to win super bowls that matters it adds more it adds more value to what calvin johnson did despite all of that like if Calvin Johnson played for the Jets and still had these numbers, it'd be the same argument. 
right? Like the Jets are not a franchise that has done a lot of winning over the course of this this century. And so if he like if he puts these statistics up with Brady as his quarterback, it probably lessens the value of it to an extent because well he's now he's playing with the, like the goat, right? But imagine if he's getting passes from Sam Darnold and he gets mm. 1900 yards in a season from right. Sam Darnold. You're like, "Holy <laughs> shit." <laughs> but 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 so 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 this brings me back to the argument that Dave, Dave and I had a few months back on text about yesteryear's players. You put Calvin Johnson in in, in on a, any team in 1987 or 88. Yes, he's 6'5 with a 4'3'5 with excellent hands. yards. Right, right. But then you put Drew Brees against the eight against. I'm sorry, in in the year 1985, right against those Lions. I'm sorry, those uh those uh Bears defenses, those Giants defenses. Does he put up you know the, the kind of four or five thousand yard season that that the, the game has changed so much that Matt to your you know to your point, I can see where if a guy like Drew Brees is waiting, he's looking like man, I'm never gonna get in. Like these guys, these guys are coming, coming and going. These numbers are eclipsing everything that I could have done, you know. Where, where he had a, in in his decade in the seventies, whatever, his numbers were solid. But by the time nineteen nineties come around and two thousands, right. those numbers. But, that's, like, but again, that's why, that's, so, that's, that's why I've never considered. I've never what? really considered statistics for whether somebody should be in the Hall of Fame because it's it's so subjective. But so is so is getting in the Hall of Fame. I mean, who should be in the Hall of Fame is subjective or not? And to be honest. Drew Pearson caught the first ever Hail Mary pass. I don't think if he doesn't have that on his resume, I don't think he gets in anyways, no matter what, right? Yeah. So, 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 like, to a so, like, so like a whole bunch of other people. You yeah. Know? So that's what I'm saying. Trent so, so if, yeah, but, but, but no, not as like a punter or whatever. You're contributing as a wide receiver. I, I don't know how to tell you this, but the you're, Bucks you're is going to the Super Bowl. Uh, yes, and I don't think Scotty so Miller is he, going to the Super Bowl. You know, I don't think that. It's because you play wide receiver on a team that wins a Super Bowl. You're, uh, I mean, Sammy Watkins won last year. No, no, not no. I'm, ta- I'm talking about being a name where you're, you're getting targets in these games. Mike, Mike Evans okay. is one. Well, then I can't wait for Brandon for Stokely yards. Hall of Fame. Uh, Mike Evans Hall of Famer when he gets there for all his contributions to those Colts teams. I mean, what I'm saying is that Drew Pearson gets into the Hall of Fame because he's famous. One, he's he's he was a good football player. I joke about not knowing about him. Like I know about. Him. Um. He's a good player. He was never the most dominant yeah. player, but yeah. he's in the Hall of Famous Football Players because he caught the first of her Hail Mary. Like, he's in the Hall of Fame because he is famous, and and that's perfectly fine by me. Like, I don't I don't have an issue with him with him going in for that reason. I just think that it's that it, we shouldn't be thinking like this is the criteria. This is the one way we should be thinking about for how for how people should should go in the Hall of Fame. And if, you know what, Michael Vick did go in because everybody was like, watching him was awesome. I'd be like, okay, well, I guess it's because everybody thought watching him was awesome, so he deserves he deserves mm-hmm. to be there. You know, the initial debate that we were having was Kelvin Johnson going in ahead of Tory Holt. And with it, being, with it being a no-brainer that Kelvin's a first ballot, that would mean Tory mm-hmm. Holt would have to go in this year. And I think it just makes sense the reasons why he hasn't gotten in yet. But trust me, if Drew Pearson is in the Hall of Fame, Tory Holt's going to be there. And Cleve, I just want to say one of the things yeah, I love about you I is agree. how um, like polarizing you are with your takes. Like um, on Sunday, everybody on the Chiefs should have been fired. <laughs> and uh, today, anybody 
today, anybody who can... You goddamn right, bro. I was losing so money, man. I was getting today, old. Anybody who contributed to a Super Bowl is in the Hall of Fame, which means the Hall of Fame class next year is going to be so fucking large. I bet, I bet you, just like they cut D Ford, remember that shit? That year, I bet you uh, that guy gets cut, the one that committed the first penalty See, if there's, if, that cost the first scoring drive. If there's drive, anything I wish we could do I, I in bet real you life, gets it's cut. you as the general manager or owner of a team because you'd break the record for most head coaches in league history in the single season. Dude, I, in, in all seriousness, the adjustments that they did not make in that game for whatever reason, that they were getting fucking, they were getting rolled, they didn't make any adjustments. And that's a fireball offense that we get to this this game versus any other game, this game is the most important game on our schedule. This is the game, like you just said earlier, we're not playing. We're not so playing. So I want to close out the error because the person who is compared here is perfect because it plays right into the text exchange you two had a couple of months ago. So Xavier Howard had a 10 interception season, uh -huh. right? Do you two know who has the record for the most interceptions in a season? That is correct. So uh, they train lane for error and came out with the adjusted interceptions based off of all of the factors of each guy playing. Xavier uh, Howard would have had 15 interceptions this year if he played when Night Train Lane uh, played, and Night Train Lane would have had nine this year. So it, it is, it, it, yeah. Night Train had yeah. he had he had he yeah, had nine but like, in that's the game. The, that's the funny part is like when you start adjusting <laughs> for errors using data it helps a little bit but i just wanted to close it out because you yeah you threw up night train lane and i think dave took a giant dump on it in the in the i love night train guy, lane bro. because he's a he's a hall of fame future <laughs> football player cleve you love night train lane because you watched him in your early 20s That's <laughs> do you guys know why they call them night train lane you guys know? You, do you even know, Dave? Being a Lions I actually fan, do I not know why he's named that, that Night Train. Why they call him Night Train? He was scared of flying. He would have to take a train to all the games that they were going. In well, all you the know what? In, in 1950-whatever, whatever, when Bud Holly and everybody's fucking fall out of the sky, I'd be afraid of flying <laughs> back then, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Enough bro. money we're to going go down, back right? in time yeah. and get on a commercial flight in the 1960s. <laughs> would never happen. Would never happen. That was smart. That was smart by him. Those planes exploded like so, absolutely. Hey Dave, I have a question for you. Would would you be more likely to get on a plane in the nineteen sixties or would you rather or would you be more likely to get onto a wooden boat? Um well the thing is the thing is I can swim but I can't fly, so give me the boat. Yeah shit. Nah, dude, I, I would take the plane. I, you make a good point, Matt. That is because really I, I will. I was like, there really is no way in hell Holy that shit. I would ever have survived in the pirate days because a wooden boat <laughs> sounds like the most miserable existence of all time. <laughs> that would not be good. Oh man. Um. So you know we you know we've had a a great run, man. You know, Dave, this is our twenty first show. Matt, this is this is your eighteenth with us. It's been a great, great season. I mean, I didn't even think we could pull this off, honest to God. Like, I, you know, us being available every week, but also that the league was able to pull off having this. Um, incredible. Incredible that football season has gone. And they, they actually didn't even miss their window except for their, their preseason stuff. But the draft might be impacted depending on how the, the vaccine stuff goes so there probably won't be a live draft i'm sorry like a, a in-person draft like we've had for years uh for this year either but 
We'll see. Um, any guys, anything, anything yeah, good to close uh, out with that? I talk about Marty Schottenheimer. I don't know if you mentioned it uh, at the top of the show, but obviously Marty passed away today at the age of 77. And yeah, and um, oh, no, he, he had I did been moved into that. hospice uh, a few days ago, and uh, it looked like the end was near. But I just wanted to give the listeners, if you're listening now and you don't know who Marty Schottenheimer is, uh, you should. But a couple of things about him. Um, one, he won 200 games without any one quarterback playing in more than 32 of those games. So he did a lot of winning with not a lot of stability at quarterback, which is impressive. He finished his career. He finished 14 games over 500 with three different franchises. The only person to come even close to that is Bill Parcells, who finished four games over 500 with three different teams. So Marty was a good coach. The other thing about Marty that you should know is he got fired after going 14 and zero. That. That that's still, oh, yeah, still, fuck the I just wanted to one of the most incredible <laughs> things, like incredible like facts ever. Yeah. So um yeah. not a good story necessarily, but uh, you know, condolences to Marty because he was around the league uh, for a long time, excellent head coach, and uh, it's sad that he didn't get to win uh the big the big one. That's crazy, man, that they I yeah, Dave, you know, every time I think of that. When a coach gets fired, you know how you guys, you know, put that axe man in my hand. It's a, I don't even know what happened that they even had that kind of talk where this guy walked out or they told him hit, hit the bricks. 14 and 2. That's I mean, insane. we we joke. We, no, but we joke about the Lions getting rid of Caldwell for Patricia at 9 and 7. But imagine getting rid of your coach at 14 and 2. And I think they followed him up with Norv Turner. Yeah, dude. What the fuck was, bro? That was so egregious. And oh my the god! Big, the big knock on yeah. Marty was the fact that I think it was like offense, you know, offensively. But again, he won 200 plus games with no no guy starting more than 32 games. So like he had he had the same quarterback basically that's for insane. two whole seasons. That's it. So rest in peace. Wow! Man. Wow! Damn, man, I did not know. Prayers to his family, bro. I did not know like that. I that was breaking in real time. I guess. Um, Dave, you well, got to um, this out with you guys. So I'm watching the news right now. Um, I guess I should be hosting the show, but I'm watching the news, and uh, you know, the impeachment trial here has started the second one here for Donald Trump. And I just I want to I want to get out ahead of all like the terrible takes that you're going to see flying all over social media. So it's clear this guy is guilty that this guy incited you know through lying about the election incited the violence that occurred at the capitol that killed people including police officers and the senate is going to acquit him so he's not going to get convicted of it in the senate and you're going to see a lot of people saying like that means that he didn't do it that means that he's innocent of it you know he was acquitted this is not the same thing as being acquitted in a court of law um he still he still did it and I want to say this now, like from the DeLorean, a lot of Republicans want to be done with Donald Trump because he's an asshole that loses. And but they're afraid they're afraid of voting to convict him because they're afraid of his voters. But this logic is backwards. This is their only opportunity to get their voters back if they um convict him and then make it so he cannot run again in the future his voters will either have to vote for the republican options that are presented or not vote at all because they're not going to vote for aoc right 
this is their only opportunity this this is their one chance to not have to worry about this guy going forward and not have him have this influence right and it's their only chance to actually get control of this base for themselves they're doing all these different things to try to get the base to like them when what they have the opportunity right now is to force the base to choose them and I don't think they're going to do it. And so when we're talking, going in all this, we're talking in the future about how Donald Trump is picking primary opponents for these people and they're upset. Like, I just want the record. I, I told y'all, I told y'all February, whatever it is, ninth, whatever today is, y'all y'all had your chance. Um, and they and they chose mm -hmm. chose not to do it. So yeah, House or uh, Senate Republicans, Kansas City Chiefs, are each going to fail pretty much the same way uh, this week. Yeah, that's insane, man. I um, I um, I'm gonna try to avoid as much as this trial as I can, uh, to not, you know, get myself wound up. I just, I just got myself cleansed of the election cycle and all that shit. So um, I'm gonna like stay out of it, and then whenever verdict day is, that's what it is. Um, Sorry, and, one more thing, hopefully, thing like, real quick. The country's trying to do it going right now. From Donald just Trump. started, and so the House managers, the the prosecutors, effectively are playing their exhibit and so this is going out i'm watching on abc it's unedited and it's got and it's got captions i mean we're talking mm -hmm. we're talking like you know oh. this is a show where we can say whatever we want but some of these people in the, in the crowd at the capitol are shouting words i'm not gonna say in life let alone recorded um slurs and whatnot and they're just yeah. broadcasting out on abc yeah. i think that this might actually make that crowd a bit more real to some people not to senate republicans they don't have souls but like for people who might not be as familiar i actually think that this that this piece that i'm watching now is worth watching it's it's pretty powerful i don't even have the sound on all right so we will be uh take our take our uh time off from from the show thank you all the listeners for tuning in uh you can catch the show at any time um go back in time and hear all our wicky wacky <laughs> picks and you know the end result um it was a great season guys and i thank you and i look forward to uh our next season together so you guys uh you guys have a great great yep. great time we'll see y'all uh absolutely um, navigate life a little right bit a little bit before uh, free agency and draft time and i just and i just want to say to the listeners if you want to go yes. back and listen to our content you can find it on uh website www.mattyicemedia.com uh, you can find a bunch of stuff there, but all of our old episodes, and then we'll hopefully be out with some type of a preview teaser when we are scheduled to come back. From everyone on Political Football and Matty Ice Media, thank you for listening all season, and we will be back next spring. We look forward to bringing this journey to you once again. Stay safe and have a great off season.